Uh, it is such an honor and privilege this morning uh, to have Pastor John Heinrich in the house, Central Campus Pastor. Let's go, bring it. Let's go. Come on. Give it up. Pastor John Heinrich, the hammer. Come on, why don't we give Jesus one more shout of praise this morning? Come on, he deserves it. Anybody believing for something big to happen today? I was telling the church last week that every week in the kingdom is Super Bowl Sunday. Every week there's something on the line. Life and death is on the line every single Sunday. So it's always good to be in the house of God. And uh, I just want to, before I start, um, just want to honor your, your pastors, Pastor Vince and Becca. Um, you guys got two of the most extraordinary people. I got a chance to hang out with them for a little while at our uh, retreat in Big Bear. Um, some of you from Utah might not think it's very big. It's just a little mountain in, in California <laughs> with snow that's terrible. But um, we got to hang out for a little bit with Vince and Becca and I got to know them. And as, as, just like Colin was saying, you have pastors with faith. And if there's one thing that C3 is built on, it's faith. And if there's one thing you need, and so uh, you have pastors that, that believe in you. You have pastors that love God. You have pastors that love you. You have pastors that love this city. And you have pastors that love each other. And so I think we should just give them one more hand. Honor your pastors, Pastors Vince and Becca. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Taking us into a brand new season in Salt Lake City. Come on, how beautiful are the mountains? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I'm going to tear them up tomorrow. Try to, hang, try to keep up with Pastor Vince is going to be a challenge, but I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. Um, so good to be here. I've uh, been hearing a lot about you guys. Been hearing a lot about you guys. And uh, we're just believing that Salt Lake City is going to be turned upside down because of this, this church and because of you guys. And so we're praying for you from San Diego. We're believing with you. And... Uh, Heck, we were looking at buildings yesterday. Looking at buildings yesterday. Why not? Why not? Let's just go take ground. Let's just start buying buildings. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to be doing that at some point. But um, I grew up in San Diego and, you know, kind of lived there most of my life. I never thought I was going to be in ministry. That was never even on the radar. Um, I thought I was going to be in the big leagues playing baseball. That was my thing. That was what I was believing for. And I uh, got hurt and hung them up, got into commercial real estate. And uh, then I um, started going to a church called C3 San Diego and uh, started to feel God pulling my heart towards ministry, which was crazy because I never even thought of it before, but all of a sudden God got a hold of me and uh, he kind of um, uh, turned my heart, heart towards ministry uh, after I met Pastor Jurgen. And uh, Pastor Jurgen just said this one thing to me the first time I met him. He said, he said that you have a touch of God on your life. And uh, I didn't even know what that meant. Um, I had never even, like, really served in a church before. This is, this is you know, 12 years ago. And, uh, but it's amazing what happens when you believe in somebody. It's amazing what happens when you just sow that seed. Everything we say is a prophetic word. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So he said that thing, and it was like a seed that kind of took place in my soul and in my spirit. And then, you know, next thing you know, a few years later, I'm on staff. And now I'm living a dream I never knew that I had, but God always had for me. And so there's nothing like the house of God. It, it awakens you 
to your dreams. It awakens you to the destinies and the futures that God has for you. So I am blessed to be uh, where I am. Wouldn't want, wouldn't want to do anything else. Um, I was going to bring a photo because I have three kids and they're very cute. I was going to show you, but I forgot about it. So uh, I'll just tell you about it. I got a, a two boys, 10 and 11, and then my little girl is six. And I just went to my first father-daughter dance. And it was very, very cute. And uh, she's my last baby, so she owns me. And I'm proud of it. I don't even care. Um, but she, she was looking so cute. And so just if you have never gone to a father-daughter dance, basically what you do is you just watch your daughter run around and play with her friends. Um, <laughs> or, you know, you hit balloons. We were just hitting balloons back and forth. It was, it was fun. It was good. But uh, and then my wife, I've been married 15 years to my beautiful wife, Becky Heinrichs. And uh, she might be out here at some point. She's a total boss and a great preacher, great communicator, way better than me. So, uh, but anyways, um, I'm excited to preach to you this morning, and I'm believing for an impartation. You know, I didn't, we didn't come out here just to play church. We came out here to get busy and, uh, you know, try to impart to you something that, you know, we've been learning and, and, uh, and doing um, over the last 12 years. But in the marketplace or in the business world, in culture, when, when companies or people innovate, when, when, when they invent or a product service or process or improve a product service or process and it has a major impact in an industry, it's, it's said to like disrupt that industry. It essentially means that you take a new approach to an old idea or a completely new idea in a specific space and you turn that space upside down. It's called, it's called disruption. Travis Kalanick and his buddy were in Paris in 2008 and they were at a technology conference. And they're at this conference, and after the conference, they went outside the hotel, and they were trying to hail down a cab. And they couldn't find a cab. They couldn't find a cab, and they were trying to hail one down, and so it frustrated him. And so from that moment, he, he decided that he was going to fix that problem. And so their idea was simple. He wanted to push a button and get a car. So two years later, in the summer of 2010, Uber was born. Anybody ever heard of Uber? His mission, according to Vanity Fair article in 2014, was to drastically disrupt what he considered a very broken transportation system. And did he ever disrupt the transportation system? I mean, to think that you can disrupt a, a transportation industry without buying planes, trains, or automobiles is a little bit mind-blowing. Now it's kind of normal, but back then it was mind-blowing. To use technology to disrupt that industry was something that no one had ever even thought of before, but they used technology, not vehicles, to shift that whole industry. They put millions of people to work and pioneered an industry called the sharing economy, so much so that when there is a change in the sharing economy, it is referred to as Uberification. I'm not sure if you have them here, but in San Diego now, you can just, like, there's scooters on every corner. You can just get on a scooter and cruise around. It's the sharing economy. That's, that's what it is. That's because of Uber. Now Uber's getting involved in that as well. But the latest valuation that I saw, and this is, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, was that Uber was worth uh, $66 billion just 10 years after they were created. But none of this came easy for Uber. None of this came easy. Whenever you disrupt an industry, it, it agitates people. 
It creates opposition. Uber had to fight the media, they had to fight government agencies, and they had to fight their competition because they all saw Uber's market share rising as theirs was falling. And they saw that the, their income you know, kind of going away and shifting that whole industry. And they couldn't compete on that level, and so they didn't know what to do. So transportation will never be the same because of what Uber has done. It's an incredible, incredible story. At C3 Church, we have been known to do things a little bit different than what's normal in today's church-friendly environment. We've received some opposition as a church. I've received opposition personally um, because we challenge the status quo a little bit. We get some flack. We've taken some heat. Yelp is not necessarily our friend all the time. Facebook isn't necessarily our friend all the time. We do things like we talk about money, like Pastor Colin was talking about. We talk about money. And it's amazing that when the world talks about money, seven steps to prosperity, the whole freaking city would go. But when the church talks about money, people think, oh, God just wants our money, or the church just wants our money, or whatever. Did you know that God's never trying to get anything from you, but he's always trying to get something to you? Did you know that? And, and if we can talk about money because we want wealth creators to be born in the church, and the church is all, and God is always trying to get something to you. The Bible says that when you give, when you sow seed, God multiplies that seed and gives it back to you. And so we talk about that kind of stuff because we, we believe that God wants you to prosper. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to be successful. We believe that, but for some reason, people don't like that. We have women preach, which is crazy. My wife didn't even believe in women preachers when we came to C3, and now she is one. And I had never heard a woman preach before until I heard Pastor Leon, and I was like, where have these ladies been all my life? Everybody on this stage is under Pastor Jurgen's authority, including myself. And so, uh, you know, but people get, get all, you know, twist scriptures and everything else, and we get a bunch of flack. We've had people get up and leave when women have preached. We've had people turn their backs on Pastor Leanne. Uh, pretty much every time my wife speaks, some man will come up and try to challenge it. And, uh, and it's just crazy. We believe every healthy home has the voice of a father and a mother, and everybody's under Pastor Jurgen's authority. But, but we get some flack for that stuff. We believe in the power of God. We believe in healings and miracles. We don't believe that that stopped in the Bible days. We believe that that's just alive today, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe in that. People get upset when other people get healed in church. Why, why is that? The reason is because it disrupts their theology. Because they've never experienced it, they think it's wrong. And so what they do is they lower the Bible to their experience. But what we're committed to do is raising our experience to what the Bible says. Regardless if it, if it agitates people, we want, I want to see what Jesus saw. I want to see what the disciples saw. I want to operate like that. And the Bible says that we can do it. We're not politically correct. I mean, Vince said ass. <laughs> Maybe we don't say that all the time, but I'm just saying, in case you're new. <laughs> We're not politically correct. It's like, it's like entertainers, athletes, business people, they can have a voice in the political sphere. But as soon as the church tries to have a voice, people say, no, 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 there's a separation of church and state, which isn't constitutional. But they say, you know, the church needs to shut down, needs to shut up about politics. We don't need to be involved in politics. You know what politics means? Influence. The church is called the influence culture. 
And so we need to be in the political sphere. So what, what political correctness does is it actually silences the voice of the church. It elevates the voice of the world. That's what it does. And so we have to dumb down everything that we say so that we don't offend somebody. Jesus was not politically correct. You know what he said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. That's not politically correct. That's not coexist. That's not every road leads to the same God. Jesus wasn't politically correct. But we are biblically correct. We are biblically correct, and that's what we're committed to being. We're very transparent. We talk about our life issues. Pastors would tell, would tell you that, uh, you know, it's not good to tell the congregation about the struggles that you're going through as a pastor. Because your, you know, the reality of your world might challenge your divinity and how people see you. Well, the truth is, is that I might have a gift to, to lead or to speak, but I don't have a gift to be a Christian. We all have to develop our character. We all have to, you know, uh, uh, try to follow the principles in the Bible to try to live the life that God wants us to live. And so we talk about that stuff that we struggle in our marriage sometimes and that, you know, I fly off the handle uh, around my kids and all that kind of stuff. We talk about that stuff. And so it's a little bit different. And people, people you know, it's, it's just against the, the status quo. And so recently, I was kind of processing this and processing how we, how we do things and, and some of the things that I've personally said and, and, and all of that. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just um, saying these things or we weren't just doing these things to pick a fight unnecessarily or to, to intentionally, you know, agitate people or whatever because I want to be coachable. I want to be teachable. I want to do what God wants me to do. And so I was processing this and I was asking God, God, are we doing this the right way? And I really felt the Holy Spirit say this. He said, the church is meant to disrupt culture. That's what the church is meant to do. And C3, as a church, is also meant to disrupt church culture. And so the title of my message this morning is Disruption. I believe that the church is to disrupt culture. We're not, to, we're not supposed to take cues from culture. We need to understand culture. We need to be able to speak to culture. But we're not, we're not supposed to take the cues from culture. The kingdom is meant to disrupt what the world is doing. And so that's, that's the title of my message. Let me just pray real quick. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are calling us to separate ourselves to you. And Father, that, that we might get opposition, that we might get persecution, that we might get a Yelp review. But Father, I pray that we would stay committed to your word and to what you want us to do and living the life that you want us to live, that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So I want to read you a, a scripture in Isaiah, and it kind of, to me, um, shows us a picture of what the church is supposed to look like in uh, relation to the world. It's found in Isaiah 2, 2 verse 3. And it says this, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah 2, verse 2 and 3. Now I kind of want to go back through this and kind of break this scripture down. It says, now it shall come to pass in the latter days. I want you to know that we are living in the latter days. It's not like Jesus is coming back next week necessarily, but we need to turn it up a little bit as the church. 
We need to start uh, getting busy about our father's business. I was at a conference like 10 years ago uh, with Pastor Jurgen in Australia, and it was, there was 5,000 teenagers at this conference. It was crazy. And uh, one of the speakers from America was there, and he was speaking, and he was, he was preaching this message. And at the end of the message, he basically said that Jesus is coming back, like in the next couple of weeks or couple of months. And everybody was like, no, he didn't. Just say that. The problem was the, the guy that was running the conference had to get up after him and try to get pre-registrations for next year. And so he had to backpedal and tell all these teenagers that, hey, Jesus isn't coming back next year. It's all right. You can pre-register for the conference. We'll be here next year. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we are in the latter days. In Joel 2.28 it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. That happened in Acts 2, day of Pentecost. So we are in the latter days. Next one says, that, that the mountain of the Lord's house. I like that it, that it describes the Lord's house as a mountain. A mountain is a big place. The reason that, that it describes a church as a mountain, as a big place, is because it's meant to house big people. And I believe that when you step into the kingdom of God, your life just got bigger. No longer can you just worry about yourself. Now you got to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. It's not all about us anymore. It is about you, but it's not just about you. We need to bring people with us wherever we go. The house of God is a big place meant to house big people. It says, shall be established on top of the mountains. And so the church, the house of God, a big place, is meant to be established on top of a mountain, a big place. If you talk to military people, high places are advantageous places in war. You want to take the high ground. You want to be in the high ground because it's a better position. It's a position of authority. And so the, the mountain of the Lord's house is meant to be established on top of the mountains, which, and mountains is plural, which tells me there's meant to be churches all over the place in high places. High places uh, are places where you can see. The house of God is meant to be a place of vision. And so we want to be established on high places, and we want to get a vision for our life and, and for the church. Psalm 104.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. And, it's not, and, and the Bible says that the kingdom of God is within you, which means you're meant to rule over all. Not over all people, but over all. We're meant to rule and reign in this life. In Ephesians, the Bible says that God has exalted Jesus high above every principality, power, might, and dominion in this age and in the age to come and seated him at the right hand of the Father. In uh, Ephesians 2, it says that God has raised you and I up in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. That means that you have been raised up high above every might, dominion, power in this age and in the age to come. You are seated in a place of authority. That's how you operate, and that's where you operate from, a place of authority in a seated place in heavenly places. So you are in a big place established on a high place. Next, place, next verse says, And shall be exalted above the hills, and all of the nations shall flow to it. Did you know the Bible says that the church is meant to disciple nations? We're meant to disciple nations, so nations shall flow to it. This says, many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. 
Now, for people to come and to say, hey, let's go up to the house of Jacob, because the mountain's a high place. It's kind of hard. It might take some time to get there. It might, you might sweat a little bit to get there. It's hard to get somebody off the couch on a Sunday during football season to come up a mountain to a high place. And so if someone's going to come and tell you, if someone's going to come and say, hey, we got to go up to the high place, up to the house of God, then the house of God needs to be a place that is impacting them. So if we're not making an impact on people, if we're not transforming people, they're not going to go and tell anybody about it. When The Greatest Showman came out, I remember everybody I talked to said, you got to go see The Greatest Showman. And I'm like, it's a musical. <laughs> but then I went and saw it because it was like over and over and over. And the reason, and, and, and once I saw it, I realized, man, this movie is impactful. This is impactful. That's why everybody is going around saying that. And so at the, in the house of God, we got to be a church. we got to be a house that impacts people, that transforms people. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we doing? Zechariah 8.22 says, many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord. For the house of God to be an impactful place, the house of God needs to have an X factor to it. It needs to have an X factor. And you might be saying, well, we got the God factor. Why do we need the X factor? And I would tell you that most people will never experience the God factor unless we have an X factor. So they're going to come into, you know, an old broke down building. And they're not going to think that God is broke. They're going to think that, you know, God can't pay his bills. They're going to think that, that, that God is, you know, doesn't, doesn't know how to match. The house of God needs to be a place with an X factor. It needs to be excellent. It needs to be relevant. It needs to be forward thinking. It needs to be progressive. It needs to be cutting edge. The traditional church only attracts the church. It doesn't attract the people outside of the church. Hymns and pews, I'm sorry, it doesn't attract the people outside the church. If you want to sit in pews and listen to hymns, you can. You can just do it on your own time. That's awesome. I love it. And sometimes we bring back the old hymns, and it's great. But we need to, we're competing against things like the X Factor, things like, you know, America's Got Talent, things, all of these things. We're competing against the world, so we need to be big. We need to be influential. We need to have a building that's, that's excellent, that is flourishing, that people walk in and they go, man, God is not poor. He is not broke. No one get, wants to get on a sinking ship. The house of God should be excellent. Imagine if we really treated this like the house of God. How would we treat the carpet? How would we treat the trash? How would we treat the people? How would we, how would we treat it if it was really, if we really thought this is the house of God? It would be excellent. So it needs to be well-funded. We need to get behind this thing. We need to get behind this vision. You guys are a very generous church. It must be a prophetic place. The church must have a prophetic voice. We need to be talking about the things that are to come, not the things that already have happened. If we're just regurgitating all the things from the self-motivational seminars, what's the point? What's the difference? There's no disruption when you come into the house. It's the same as everything else. We need to be talking about things to come, not things that have already happened, not just regurgitating and changing the things that are in motivational seminars. And I'm not just talking about the pastor that's up here. I'm talking about the church, which is us, all of us. We need to be speaking a prophetic voice. We need to be leaning into God. We can't be politically correct all the time. There's no point. If there's no difference between the world and here, there's no point. We have to tell the truth unapologetically, but in unbelievable love. 
there's no transformation, if there's no faith, if there's no freedom, if there's no healing, if there's no connection, what's the point of the church? What's the distinction between out there and in here? I assume most of you guys like the snow because you live here. <laughs> where you're at. I hate the rain. I don't like cold. That's why I live in San Diego. It hardly ever rains there. When it rains there, when it sprinkles there, all hell breaks loose. The roads are all jammed up. You know, it takes forever to get anywhere on the freeway. Uh, you know, a branch will fall in the middle of the street, and there'll be a meme that comes up on Facebook that, with a picture of this little tiny branch in the middle of the street, and it says, Stormwatch San Diego. <laughs> we will rebuild, you know. <laughs> that's, 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 that's like the storms that I encounter. But there might be a blizzard. There's probably blizzards here. Do they name blizzards? Like hurricanes? No? Okay. It's like blizzard, like Vince the blizzard is coming into whatever. <laughs> Every Sunday he comes in. So let's imagine that there's a blizzard outside, okay? And you're walking down the street and you see this blizzard and it's bucketing down snow. And then you see the church and it says refuge. And, you, and it's a big old building with a, with a big welcoming door. And you see that and the snow's coming down outside so you run into the church and you shut the door behind you only to find out that there's no ceiling. And so it's bucketing down snow outside and it's bucketing down snow inside. In other words, the weather is the same on the outside as it is on the inside. There's no difference between the world and the church. It's the same weather. It's the same environment. There has to be a distinction. There has to be a disruption when you walk into the house of God. It has to be different than what's out there. It has to be different. I think the house of God has to be a place that's powerful, full of power. People are looking for power. People are looking for power, and if the church isn't willing to give it to them, they're going to find it. They're going to find it in psychics, mediums, tarot card readers, fortune tellers. They're going to find it in black magic. They're going to find it because we're wired for power. And so the church has to be a place of power. It's actually the power of God that disrupted my whole theology and my whole world. About 12 years ago, I was driving, driving my car. I was in commercial real estate. We're looking at properties, and all of a sudden, my stomach started to hurt. And I was like, ah, oh, I took some Advil and, you know, kept going and went home that night. Well, that night, the, the pain in my stomach continued to increase. And so uh, in the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep. I was just kind of balled up, and I'm like, you know, waking up my wife. And, and, uh, and you need to understand that my wife loves sleep. <laughs> you also need to understand that although she's beautiful and loving, she's not very compassionate when I get sick. So the fact that I had to wake her up in the middle of the night to tell her I wasn't feeling good, I had to be hurting. So I wake her up. She gets up, and, and she takes me to the emergency room because I, I had a bad stomachache. So I get to the emergency room, and they kind of check me out, and they're like, you know what? We think you're dehydrated. And I'm like, great. You know, I got my wife out of bed to take me to the hospital to tell me I'm dehydrated. So they hooked me up to some IVs and filled me fl full of fluids and sent me home. Well, the next day, things hadn't got any better. In fact, they started to get worse. So my stomach was hurting. Now it was starting to go around to, to my back. And in the middle of the night again, or, you know, close to, close to the night again, I started to, to be in so much pain that I couldn't even deal with it. And so I had to, again, tell my wife, babe, I think we need to go back to the emergency room. And so the very next night, she takes me back to the emergency room, and I go into the doctors, and they check me out, and they say, you know what, you're dehydrated, but you're also constipated. 
And I got to tell you, at that moment, my respect for constipated people went through the roof. So I'm like, man, y'all are in pain a lot. This hurts. And so anyways, they, they hook me up. So now I'm constipated and dehydrated. So I get uh, uh, another, you know, IV of liquid and now an IV of Motrin to try to dumb down the pain. And then they send me home. Well, the next day, unfortunately, things didn't get better. And so I told my wife again, babe, we got to go back to the emergency room. I am in excruciating pain. And so slightly annoyed, she takes me back to the emergency room. Very annoyed, the doctor see me like, oh, there's a constipated guy again. <laughs> and so I walk in the doctor, but this time, instead of just doing all the, the regular checkpoints, they take my blood. So they take my blood, and, and the doctor comes back, and he goes from looking annoyed to looking very, very concerned. And he tells me and my wife to sit down, and the first thing he says is, do you have a will? And I was like, yeah, I have a will. And in my mind, I'm thinking, bro, you missed the day of bedside manner in medical school. Like, <laughs> the first words you're saying is, do you have a will? And so we sit down and we say, yeah, we have a will. Why? What's going on? And he says, you have acute renal failure, which is kidney failure. He said, your kidneys are failing, and we don't know why. We need to admit you right away. So they admit me into the hospital. Over the next three days, I lose 20 pounds. And now I am constipated because they're giving me all these drugs. <laughs> and they don't know what's going on. And so they're, they're doing all these tests. They're asking me if I'm doing drugs and all this kind of stuff. And I was, I was only 31 years old. I was, you know, one of the healthiest times of my life. But they didn't know what was going on. And so that the next day, they were going to give me, uh, do a biopsy to check my kidneys to see what was wrong with me. My friend, Matt Hubbard, knew Pastor Jurgen, and he knew some people at C3 San Diego. I went to a church back then, but it, it was a church that didn't believe in the power of God. And so I called Matt, and I said, hey, do you think Pastor Jurgen would come and pray for me? And so he calls me back, and he says, he would, but he's on a plane to Australia. But he says, call this guy Mark. He just came in from Australia. He's a C3 guy. He knows how to pray. And so my friend Matt calls Mark, and they come into the hospital that night. My family's there. My friends are there from my other church. And, and Mark and Matt walk in, and, and Mark says, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? Little did I know he fasted all day for somebody they had never met before. So he walks into the hospital, and I said, yes, please pray. And I actually believed that I could get healed because I had just started on this journey, started to read about different things in the Bible and different books. And so I actually believed I could be healed. Not that that's a prerequisite, but that's just where I was at. And so Mark says, can I pray for you? And I said, yes. So he lays his hands on me, and I kid you not, there was a presence that entered the room the second that he laid his hands on me. It was a, there was a heat. There was a presence. You could feel it. It was tangible. And he started to pray. And then he started to prophesy and declare Isaiah 58 over me that my healing would come forth speedily. And then he started to tell me things about my future. Afterwards, my mom goes, does that guy know you? And I'm like, I've never met him before. She's like, he was telling you stuff about you that, you know, only someone that knew you would know. So he starts to pray, and he takes authority. And I'd never heard anybody pray like he was praying. Hey, and, and as he's praying, my heart's beating out of my chest. I can feel this heat. It's, it's, it's tangible in this room. And then he, he leaves the room. Everybody in the room was crying because they were just being impacted by what was said and, and just the feeling and the presence that was in the room. So he leaves the room. The very next day, the doctors come in, and they take my blood before they do the biopsy just to check it one more time. Um, they, they check your creatinine levels, and at, at 8, you're on dialysis, and 1 is normal. I was at like 4.8, and it was getting higher every day. So they take my, my blood that next morning before the biopsy, and they come back, and they say, we don't know what happened, but your creatinine levels have dropped to two. So we're not going to do the biopsy. The next day, they tested my blood again, and my levels had come back to one, which is normal. 
So in two days, exactly what uh, Mark Peterson prophesied, that my healing would come forth speedily happened right before my eyes and right before the eyes of the doctor. The doctor said, I don't know what happened. I don't know why you got sick, and I don't know why you got healed, but we're going to release you from the hospital. And so from that day till today, I've never had any other issues with my kidneys. I was healed on that moment when he prayed for me because the power of God is real today, just as it was in the Bible. And I didn't know what had happened. I was like, I don't know what just happened, but I want that. I want to be a Christian like that, that if someone calls on me, I can go to the hospital and lay hands on somebody and see somebody get healed. And let me just tell you, from that time, I've seen hundreds of miracles. I've seen cancers. I've seen tumors uh, gone. I've seen sciatica removed. I've seen scoliosis straightened up. I've seen uh, skin cancer fixed. I've seen uh, numbness in legs come back. I've seen memories come back. I've seen almost everything happen. I've seen legs grow. It's crazy. The power of God is real today, and the people in this world are looking for power. we got to be the ones willing to give it to them. It's got to be a place of power. The next part says, he will teach us his ways. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says he will teach us his ways. Moses knew his, Moses knew his ways. The children of Israel knew his works. God wants to show you his ways. Wait, but his ways are higher than our ways. Yes, but you have access to his ways. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. With the Holy Spirit comes the mind of Christ. You have access to higher ways. 1 John 2, 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. It's talking about you. Verse 27 says, but the anointing which you have received, which is the Holy Spirit, uh, received from him, abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. It means that you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the mind of Christ in you. You actually do know all things. You just gotta get, we just got to get ourselves out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and through us. And he speaks to us and through us through a whole bunch of different ways, including you know, your pastors, your connect group leaders, people around you, the Bible, preaching, everything. But basically, you have access to his ways. And we shall walk in his paths. The Bible says his paths drip with abundance. Why wouldn't you want to walk in his paths? And then it says, for out of Zion shall go forth the law. Zion is a place where the church is. Out of the church shall go forth the law. I believe that the kingdom of God, that the church should be dictating culture, not be dictated to by culture. The kingdom of, 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 of God should be overthrowing the culture of the world, not letting that overthrow the culture of the kingdom. That's why we need to invade every sphere of culture. You're going to learn more about this tonight at the Pathfinders thing, but, but you and I are called to invade culture, and we go after culture. We go after every sphere of society. We go after government. We think people should be raised up in the house of God in government. We believe the next mayors, governors, presidents, assemblymen, school board members should be coming out of the church. So we need to take our place of influence in culture. We believe in arts and entertainment, athletes, artists, musicians. The best music should come out of the house of God. Athletes have the most influence in the world. They should be speaking a, a biblical language, not a weird language, a biblical language. They should have high moral values. We need to raise them up, and we need to encourage them to go and do what God has called them to do. We believe in the media sphere. We need to have the voice of Christians in media. We believe in education. We need to have teachers, educators, superintendents, principals, people writing curriculum. They need to be Christians. They need to be people with high moral values. What happens when the church backs up from culture? Let me just tell you what happened in San Diego right now. We have a, a sex 
ed curriculum going through our schools in San Diego that from the uh, beginning of, of school in kindergarten, they're starting to teach our kids that there are 15 different genders, that it's okay to bathe together because that's a low-risk activity, and a whole bunch of disgusting things that they're trying to get to our kids because it's an antichrist agenda straight from the pit of hell. And the reason it's passed is because there is uh, a whole bunch of super liberal people on the board. And so they're passing this thing. But you know what? Our church in San Diego said, uh-uh, we're not going to put up with that. We had 60 people at the school board meeting last week uh, making uh, causing havoc and uh, causing the school board, not causing havoc in a um, chaotic way, but we're, we're showing up. No one's ever shown up and challenged them before. But we're telling them we're coming after these seats on the school board in 2020. Watch out. And we're, and we're explaining to them why it's demonic. We're explaining to them what it does to kids at that age. I mean, my son, I just bought him some batting gloves the other day. He's 11. He goes, Dad, what does unisex mean? Like, that's their brain at that age, and yet they're trying to say there's 15 different genders. But the church is backed up from culture, backed out of education. And we just, you know, are, are content to have the church just in these four walls. That's not biblical. That is not biblical. We are interested in business people taking their place in culture. We are interested in business people making truckloads of money. Why? Because when you make truckloads of money, guess what? You have influence. And we need to raise people up. There should be a, a uh, crazy disadvantage for the people in the world versus the business people in the church. Because you have access to the same power that heals the sick, the same power that God wants to give you to get wealth. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 8.18. So God wants to elevate business people into their influential place in culture so that we can have a voice and shift things in our culture. We need business people to rise in the church. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There's nothing like the word of God. The word of God, the Bible says, is living and it's powerful. It's the word of God that God watches over to perform. It's the word of God that when you speak it, it never returns to you void. There's nothing like the word of God. It created the world and it holds the world together. It's the word of God that discerns soul from spirit. So when the world is confused... It's the word of God that comes in and, and highlights truth, that awakens people. No, 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 there's actually not 15 genders. There's two, male and female. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It's the word of God that helps people when they get confused. But if we're not speaking the word of God, and sometimes you speak the word of God by your actions, then things aren't going to be, then things are going to be the same and the world's going to be confused. So we need to speak the word of God. And we need to do it in love. We need to love everybody. Everybody's welcome into the house of God. But we, we need to love them so much that we actually tell them what the Bible says. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So we can't be ashamed of what the Bible says. No matter if people leave, no matter if people are, are upset at us, we have to be able to not be ashamed of what the gospel says. So we see this tension in culture, right? We see that the church needs to be a place that is excellent, but also the church needs to, do a, to be a place that goes out, that goes out and, and invades culture and takes responsibility for our city. And the easiest way to do it is what the Dream Center says. I love the Dream Center. It's a, it's a place in, in L.A. 
And they say, just find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. We take responsibility for our cities. We need to engage in our culture, and, and um, there's some easy, practical ways to do that. Go coach a team. I coach my kids' teams for two reasons. One, because I love my kids. Two, because it gives you influence with parents. And you get to meet people that don't go to your church, and you get to you know, be an example for them and an example for the kids. A coach is a very influential position. Get on a school board. Volunteer at church. Man, we're reaching people every week here. Get on a team here. Find a place where you can serve. Be a mentor. Run for office. Support someone running for office. Staying away from culture is Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament when there was somebody that was unclean or leprous or, uh, you know, unlovable? They would stay away from those people fearing that what was on them would get on us. But Jesus disrupted that theology. Jesus went and laid hands on the lepers. He went and loved the unlovable. He wasn't worried that what was on them was going to get on him, but he knew what was in him was going to get on them. That is the church. That is called invading culture. That is the New Testament. That is Jesus right there. Matthew West is, a, is an artist, and he sang a song a few years ago called Do Something. And in this song, it's basically this guy, and he's crying out to God. And he's saying, God, there's all these problems in, you know, around the world with poverty. There's all this chaos. People aren't getting along. So he's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, why don't you do something? And in the song, God responds to this guy. And he says, I have done something. I've created you. You and I, the church, we're the answer if we take responsibility. You're the answer for your world. Matthew 5, 14 says that you are the light of the world. You're not the light of the church. You're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So you are the light of the world. In the beginning, when God created the universe, he looked down into a world and he saw that there was darkness that covered the earth, that there was chaos happening, that it was formless, that it was void. And his solution thousands of years ago at the genesis of creation was to step out and say, let there be light. And light was. That was his solution to the chaos and the darkness. And I believe that God is looking down from heaven today. And not a whole lot has changed. There's still a lot of darkness. There's still a lot of chaos. There's still a lot of despair. But I believe that the same answer that he had thousands of years ago at the genesis of creation is the same solution that he has today. Except this time he's talking to Christians like you and Christians like me. But he's stepping out and he's saying, let there be light. You and I are that light. If we want to fix the formless and the void and the chaos and the darkness, we got to step out. we got to engage in culture. we got to engage in our worlds. The beginning is just change your world. Go out into the world and make disciples. Just change your world. And let that person change his world. And that girl change her world. And understand what God is calling you to do and go do it the best that you can. And take your place in culture. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be some people here this morning that have never actually even invited Jesus into their life. And that's okay. 
But this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to invite the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into your world. It's not until you invite him in will you actually know what your true assignment is in this life, your true purpose is. There might be other people here who once have invited Christ into their life, but they've kind of taken their life back, which is easy to do because life gets busy and things happen. But today you're saying, you know what, I want to rededicate myself to Jesus. I want to rededicate myself to him, the one that created me. So if you're one of those two people, you've never invited Jesus into your life, or maybe one time you did, but you just feel far from him. Is that better? But today you want to come back. With every eye closed and head bowed, if you're one of those two people, would you just slip up your hand right where you are so that I can see it and pray for you? Is there anybody like that? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. See those hands to my left. Thank you. Thank you right here to the right. Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else? Thank you up in the back. I see that hand. Thank you. One more person. I'm waiting. Thank you, sir. I see that hand up to my right. I see that hand up over there. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. 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 You can look up here. There was maybe there was maybe ten people or so that lifted their hand. And uh, like I said, I want I want to pray for you. And I want to ask you to do something that's kind of bold. Because there's so many people, I can't, I want to pray for you personally. I can't kind of get up into all the different seats. I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you, if you can, the whole congregation to stand up. And we're going to clap and we're going to cheer. And I'd love it if you would come out of your seat and come down here so that I can pray for you personally. And and we can reconnect with Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Would you come down? If you're here with a friend, you can bring him with you. Come on down. Come on down, sir. Thank you. Come on down, ma'am. Come on, let's keep clapping. Hey, guys, can you guys come over here real quick? Can you guys come over here real quick? I want a quick prayer. How about you? I'll just pray for you. Double portion. Hey, what I want to do is let's have, let's have everybody repeat after me and pray this prayer, including all of you guys that came down. I want you to pray this prayer after me. And I want the whole congregation to repeat it. Just say, say these words. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I invite you into my life. And I ask that you would help me live a life that glorifies you. Today, I declare that heaven is my home and that God is my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give it up for these people. Do we have something for them, Vince? Do we have something for them? If you guys can go talk to the ministry team over here, we have a, a book for you. We want to give you a Bible if you need a Bible. 
just a little book called Following Jesus that'll help you on your journey. How amazing is that? Heaven celebrating. Heaven celebrating. Larry, we I want to do one more thing just let before we on. before we leave, and we're we're finishing now. I I really feel like uh, this could be a little bit of a a tough message to handle, but I don't know if I'm ever coming back, so I just had to go for it. Vince is a lot nicer than me. Uh, but I feel like there might be some people here where that message was just like, got to them a little bit. Like they, they connected with that. Like they felt like, man, I need to step up my game and I need to change my world. And I, and I need to step into what God's been calling me to do, but I didn't feel like it was godly to do. But now I know that I'm meant to actually stand out. I'm meant to actually do what God's calling me to do and I'm meant to do it well. So if that's you, I want you just to lift your hand and I wanna pray, pray over you. Is there anybody like that in here? Amen, there's hands going up everywhere. I wanna pray for you guys. Just lift your hand and let's just receive. Come on, I believe, I'm believing that there's something gonna be shifting in Salt Lake City. Father, I thank you right now for the power of God. Lord, I thank you that the same power that was available in the Bible is available today. Father, you didn't ask us to go into all the world and disrupt culture and not give us the ability to do it. So, Father, right now, you see the hands. You see those that are taking responsibility for their world, for our city, for their sphere of influence. And, Father, I pray that boldness would come on them today, that power would come on them today, that insight would come on them today. Father, that they would be uh, convicted to go out into the world and be who you've called them to be. Lord, I'm praying that you would elevate the people of C3 Salt Lake City. Father, I'm praying that you would give us ideas, innovations, that you would give us disruptive innovations and ideas. Father, that the greatest government politicians and people would be coming out of this church. The greatest arts, entertainment, athletes, musicians, artists would be coming out of here. The greatest meat personalities, the greatest educators, the greatest business people, Father, that the business people would step up, start to create wealth for the building of the kingdom and for the building of their family. Father, I thank you that you love us. And Father, I thank you for the word of God that's able to discern soul and spirit. And Lord, we recommit to you today our assignment to invade culture, to invade society, to be bold for the things of God. Not be weird, but be bold. To preach the gospel with our words, but also, and probably more importantly, with our actions. So Father, we thank you, we love you, we bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Love you, thank you.